Do you want to become a better hockey player this summer with Paul Vincent Hockey? Since 1972, Paul Vincent, currently the head skills instructor of the Florida Panthers, has been developing NHL and college hockey players. Paul Vincent stands by his saying, there is always room for player development. Players such as Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Matt Grizzlick, Patrick Sharp, Adam Oates, and many more have trained with Coach Vincent and his staff and have outstanding results. Join Paul Vincent this summer at one of his four Massachusetts locations, Canton, Saugus, Middleton, and Falmouth on Cape Cod. Registration is now open for 2022 camps. To reserve your spot today, go to pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. That's pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. Paul Vincent is ready to get back to work this summer. Are you? Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to yet another edition of New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Ludicky, joined in the studio today ably by Jeff Cox, senior analyst. And we've got a great uh, show for you today. We're going to recap the 2022 prep season. We're going to talk about the season that was and how things went down and who shined. We'll also kind of go over uh, Jeff's recent prep awards. That has gone over very well on uh, HockeyJournal.com. And uh, we're also going to get into the MIAA as we are winding down to the last couple of high schools that will be competing for the Massachusetts High School Championship on Sunday at TD Garden, March 20th. So excited to have you here, Jeff. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Let's get right to it. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Excited to talk some hockey. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, prep hockey season. I think before we get into who did what and, and who was successful, just the tip of the hat to, to NEPSAC and the schools for pulling off a season and not letting COVID disrupt yet another year of development in these kids. Yeah, it was good to have competition back and nice to see fans in the stands for the playoff run. Should have happened earlier, but it's, it was good and it was nice to see the the emotion and the atmosphere and just a winning environment down the stretch for all the playoff games I was at. Right. It was a little complicated in the playoffs because uh, we didn't have a neutral site mm-hmm. after the quarterfinals. I, you and I talked about this and look, we're if you're listening, this is just... This, take this in the spirit it's intended, but as we looked at some of those packed schools uh, with lots of people there to support the teams, couldn't help but wonder, if we'd had a neutral site, you probably would have had a little more space, you wouldn't have had as yeah. many people packed together, and somehow I, I don't think that if the intention was to mitigate risk for some kind of spreader event, I don't, I'm not sure that was as well received, and what bothers me, Jeff, is that that we had to choose which games to, to, to go to right. because we couldn't see. There were a lot of teams that we just couldn't see and a lot of schools and scouts couldn't see. Yeah, I think to me that's the biggest issue is in all of this, you, you want the kids to have the best experience and the the crowds were great and I think the kids had good experiences, but some of those, the small school, for example, they didn't get the coverage or the, the scouts at those games that they might have if they were at neutral sites and that only negatively impacts the kids and, and their chances of playing college hockey in the future or being scouted by junior teams, NHL teams, whatever it might be. Pomfret had that really great upset one nothing win over St. Mark's, and there just wasn't the coverage that those smaller school teams deserved, and that's the negative of not having it at a neutral site. The, these kids have rare opportunities, and a year ago... They didn't get any opportunities, and some of those seniors never had an oppor- had the chance to play a final season of prep hockey. And this year, great. I'm glad the season happened, but at the end of the day, the fact that we had to pick and choose where to, it's, it's frustrating because there were so many teams we wanted to see and we wanted to give due diligence to. So hopefully we'll look forward to 2023 in hopes that we're not dealing with this level of risk aversion. And yeah, that's, that's all for sure. That's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. So, so on to the prep season, Salisbury, once again, they won in 2020, the elite eight went before the, the pandemic disrupted everything and, and shut everything down. Andrew Will's team comes back and, and they do it again. Jeff, just keys to that whole 
development. The the cream rises to the top there. Andrew Wills, the best coach there is in prep school hockey. He had his team playing well at the right time. They were paying attention to details. Their habits were good. You really noticed it in that first that quarterfinal game I was at versus Dexter. Sticks on pucks, getting in lanes, back checking, just all the little things Salisbury did, and it's just a true testament to to Coach Will. And this wasn't as I think I said this before, but this wasn't his most talented team. He's had a lot of teams that were more talented than this from top to bottom, but this team really bought in and played well down the stretch and to go on the road and beat three really good hockey teams is impressive great atmosphere at Dexter on Wednesday in the quarterfinals unbelievable atmosphere at Belmont Hill and you were at the Kimball Union game I was at at the Avon Belmont Hill game that day for the semis but just they three three really great road yeah. um yeah. that's a lot of travel and it's good teams that they beat on, all on the road to me that might be the most impressive championship he's had just because we got the most out of this group and had to win all three games on the road. Yeah, and you said it in the preview. You know, you know, we, we, we previewed the preps and, and in the Elite Eight field, and, and Jeff, you were right on the money. You said they're, they're playing their best hockey at the right time, and they're the one team that no one wants to play mm-hmm. and came to fruition. And just my thoughts in, in going up to Meriden and, and watching them in KUA, the, the fans and the parents and, and the, kid, the, the students traveled really well. That They had a loud vocal contingent that, that helped kind of counterbalance the KUA home advantage and it was just a great hockey game 2-1 overtime and went back and forth and you know both goaltenders were excellent but in in the end it was kind of a broken play it was one of those just uh, Ben Poitras just throws the puck to the net and that's the old hockey adage shoot the puck good things happen and that was it and the, the other thing that really stood out to me was their best players came to play Dylan Ritzkoian, Ben Poitras, the two Northeastern commits. Poitras had, had a goal in each game. Ritzkoian had, I think, two goals and an assist. Ryan Walsh was good. Austin McNicholas. Austin McNicholas played his best hockey when it mattered. They got good defen- uh, good defensive play from all of their D. They were solid down the middle. Uh, third line center Trey Deary hmm. killed penalties. He was on the first unit power play. He's committed to uh, play lacrosse at Syracuse, but he's a Division One hockey player, he's in my a opinion. Division One hockey um, player all the way. Like yeah, he's so hard. Right. Played heavy, played smart, paid attention to details, did everything it took to win hockey games. He got in that final against Belmont Hill. There were two or three Belmont Hill players that were trying to kill him at every whistle. They just he he got under their skin, and it's just to me. He's just a really good hockey player and a good athlete, obviously. And sometimes we focus on the top guys. And to me, the top guys did play their best hockey. And it's probably why they won and, you know, that and the execution of the game plan. But you got to credit some of their lesser heralded guys. And Trey Deary kind of epitomizes that to me. Yeah. Um, Alex Zakrzewski making that that critical keep in. Mm-hmm. It's a two one game. They had jumped out to a two nothing lead, but then Belmont Hill got back into it. Yeah. At that point, it's anyone's hockey game. Next, it's the old next goal's crucial mm-hmm. and good keep in. Recognizes it and, and and keeps the puck in the offensive zone. Gets it to Walsh and then where it's Kovian, the one guy. I, I hate to say it, and talking afterwards with Coach Finney, but you know the one guy you don't want to see coming down the middle of the ice no. uncontested is number thirteen, mm-hmm. and he did what he did what as you said the best players do. He yeah. finished and made it a three-one game, and that was. Right. I let's talk about Belmont Hill because they had a tremendous season, and I think in our culture. There's a tendency, especially nowadays, it mm-hmm. seems like more than any other, where anything less than a championship is, is seen as a failure. And it's a shame because I yeah. thought they had a great year. If I don't have the rankings or the standings right in front of me, but I, they only lost three times, I'm pretty sure. Twice in the regular season at the end. Both overtime yep. games. And then to a very good Salisbury team in the championship game. So anytime you go through a season when you only lose three games, that's good in my book. And what, what impressed me the most... I was at their game on Saturday at Avon, and then obviously the game Sunday in the final. But some of their lesser-known guys really stepped up, like Jack Hauser, the right wing there, number 13. He was great. He had a goal in the first two games, and 
he, he just exceeded what you expected from him. And I was talking to some NCDC guys after, and I think there, there'll be some interest in him for junior hockey next year. And it's great to see, obviously, in that semifinal win over Avon, their two best players were their two best players. Teddy Stiga, James Fisher, they, they came to play that game. And Teddy Stiga, you can't say enough about him. The 06 freshman, He's always been a great skater. He's always been a good player. He took a huge step this year. So if you haven't seen him since the fall with the Junior Eagles, and you're going to see him this spring in, in Michigan at the Nationals or in a week or two at the 40-man uh, camp, the Teddy Stieg has taken a huge step. And as good of a player as he was in the fall, he's an even better player today. And it's been quite something to watch him develop, get get a little stronger, become more able to win some of those physical battles and play between the circles. I, I was blown away by his improvement this season. Yeah, uh, all in all, it was again he's, spe- he's special. He's the best. He's the best O six in the, in the region. And then we, you have to prove it. You have to go and and show it. And you go in as a freshman playing prep school hockey. What are you going to do? Are you going to impact it? Are you going to are you going to be able to score and be that? that mm-hmm. play driver at that level yep. or are you going to have to take some time and, and figure it out and he, right. he went right in yeah to me the magic number is a point per game for for those younger players and I think he fell just short of it like 0.95 or 0.96 something like that and but him and Drew Delisala down at Brunswick the, the they he was a little bit over a point per game at Brunswick for for the 06s they were obviously great the two of them and then you look at obviously what Gavin Cornforth did at Thayer, not as good of a t- team, didn't have the season that Thayer's become expect kind of you, what you expect from Tony Monti's program, but he had a monster year, is a late 06. And then obviously Richard Gallant at St. Mark's, right. he, when, you, when we're talking young players, he had two points per game this year as an 07. And it just that's remarkable. Some great seasons for those young guys. So let's talk about the the large schools. Since you you mentioned Brunswick and Kent, the Kent mm-hmm. Lions, uh, those are the, they were in the uh, the large school event. And again, exposure. And I don't mm-hmm. want to beat a dead horse, but yeah. just unfortunate. They should have been. Everyone should have been able to see them. And so, but talk about the, the talent rising to the top in right. the in the large school. I I don't think I was going out on a limb, but I. When I saw that large bracket come out, I, I immediately said it. It's Brunswick and Kent. Everything else is anything else would be a huge upset. Those two teams had superior, vastly superior talent, and obviously they got to the final. Brunswick hosted, but Kent took that one. I, I think their best players were their older forwards, and those O three forwards. You look at Max Resnick and Jacob Kraft, Gino McEnery, Cole Watson, Michael Hurst. They they came to play and. Dante Palumbo, they were all just, they produced when it mattered. And that, to me, that's why Kent won. And the, their young goalie played his best hockey of the year down the stretch. Aiden Hopewell in 05, who was a 40-man camp kid last year. He really stepped up. And Kent's a great program. They have great players. And I truly believe Kent and Brunswick probably should have been in the Elite Eight. They lost in the tiebreaker and didn't make it in. But th- those are two really good programs. And Coach Kennedy at Brunswick and Coach Reinhardt at uh, Kent, they do a stand-up job at both of those programs, and they're both good schools and great places to play. You talked about the mix of youth. like You talk about 2D in particular that are on the very young side Mm -hmm. as 06s, and that's Alex Bales and Jacob Ingenstrup. How did they do in terms of how did they look to you this season? Yeah, they were both. They both played really well. Engstrip missed the last month of the season with uh, mono, but Alex Bales was just a steady, steady defender and played well beyond his years in the in the playoffs there. And future's bright for him. I think he has a lot of upside. Yeah, nice. What about Brunswick? They had a good run. They ho- as you said, they hosted the championship game. Where were their strengths, and maybe where what ended up maybe going wrong for them at the end? I, I don't, I don't know if there was anything really right or wrong with Brunswick, except they, they were on the younger side. Hank Cleves was a, is a late 03 who had a monster year, one of the most improved players in prep hockey, committed to Dartmouth. But their their other good players are mostly 05s, one or two 04s, one or two 06s. The other thing with Brunswick is, for the most part, they have to have, they can only have those kids within a 30-minute radius of Brunswick because it, it is a day school. So it's... 
they do a great job for it being a day school. They have good teams and good players that have moved on. You look in Andon Serbone and in, in recent past, he's now with Chicago in the USHL, but they just, they do it. Connor Welch is another one. He's in um, Omaha now. They just, they do a good job of producing players, letting players move on when they're ready to move on. I think, I think Mike Kennedy does a great job there. Great. So we've talked a little about the, were there any other large schools this year that you, you look back on and you were impressed with the, with their progression and, and what they showed this season? I think Berkshire and, and Loomis both didn't start off as hot as you've come to expect from both of those programs, but they played well enough and got into the postseason. And kudos to J.R. Zavisa and Dan Driscoll for getting those teams into the tournament. And obviously they both lost in the first round to finalists, but those two teams both kind of stepped up and got to the large school. When I saw them back at the St. Paul's Jamboree for Loomis and the Berkshire Jamboree for Berkshire, I didn't expect as you know them to be in the postseason at that point and Exeter same goes for Exeter I think Exeter improved and over improved a lot so obviously the end goal is to win but all, all of those teams got into the tournament and got better as the season went along which says something about all, all of those teams and it sets them up right even if you don't win you, if you're at least successful and you're trending in the right direction you can recruit the kinds of players that you need for the right. next year and then with yeah. your returners right Maybe it's a different story. Yeah, for sure. Andover, I think, got a lot better from when I first saw them in the flood mar. And some of their individual players got better, which is a it's, it's a good thing when you can show future players and you, you obviously your current players that not only do you, do you win hockey games, but you help get them better. And I saw a few Andover players in the Beantown last, last Thursday, and I, I think a few of them got better. And that's what you want to see. I agree. Small school, how did uh, how did that all shake out to you? Out of all the tournaments, I know some of the teams in the small school far less than the Elite Eight for sure in the, in the large school. I, I thought St. Mark's would win it all. Obviously, they were close to making the Elite Eight for some of the year. They have big-time talented players and defenseman Michael Fisher and Gallant, who we talked about. Holy Cross commit, Dom Murphy. They have some good players that you, you know about from fall hockey, about from national camps, and obviously seeing them a bunch through the year. But they lost one to nothing to Pomfret, and then Pomfret went on and beat a good veteran gunnery team. And to me, Kellen, Kellen Bouton, the goalie for Pomfret, who's committed to play at Connecticut College in the NESCAC, he's the MVP of that tournament. I wasn't at the game. I don't usually like talking about games that I you know, wasn't at just because I think it's disingenuous. But it, the numbers speak for itself with him. You saw them play Dexter. Mm-hmm. I saw them play once earlier in the year. Kellen Bouton was their MVP. Yeah, there, was. There's no question about <laughs> yeah. it. The, there's some yeah. other teams where you can say there were two or three guys. They scored by committee. They had good defense, so their goalie had some good numbers. With Pom- and I'm not trying to say Pomfret's defense wasn't good. They have some good players. Carter Rugg and Philip Lamar are both big, uh, good-sized defenders that do a good job. But Kellen Bouton was clearly the MVP of Pomfret all season, and it speaks volumes that Connecticut College saw him and wanted him to be on their team for next year. And it's a tough step to take from prep school Tetanuskak is really good hockey in division three but yeah Kellen Bouton to me is the story when you're talking about Pomfret this year and in, in the playoffs yeah he was tremendous in that game I saw he just you know very athletic mm-hmm. and tracks pucks well and he competes and yeah. there were a couple of plays that really Dexter should have had that game yeah. that's what that's always the story with a goaltender right when you're talking right. about the MVP because they find they just make those extra saves yeah and I prevented it was it ended up being a tie but that game's a loss for Pomfret if not right. for him so yeah no and just quickly touching on Frederick Gunn the team that Pomfret beat in the finals some of their older players they've kind of got that good Buffalo connection going right now with Ryan Novo and Nathan Stachowiak they were both very good in the playoffs by the numbers and I liked them when I saw them early in the season at the Berkshire Jamboree and at the Avon Old Farms Christmas Tournament Giuliano Facinelli another player for them that intrigued me some this year I saw them also at the Exeter Tournament up in Exeter in December so they're, they're another team that had a little bit of their ups and downs at the beginning of the year and ended up playing their best hockey down the stretch and 
getting to the getting to the championship game. They beat a very good St. George's team in the tournament, and that's another team in the small school that I, I want to touch on. St. George's isn't really known for having good players or making tournaments or anything like that, but they have they have a talented group down there with Donovan and Julian. Ryan Buckley, the Frias brothers are committed to Yale. Ryan Buckley is committed to Holy Cross. Matt Kersonis is committed to Holy Cross. Ryan's younger brother, Ben, will be committed somewhere eventually. Then they Ryan and Ben have a younger brother, Danny, who's on the team. And then their star young goalie, Ryder Shea, will be at 40-man camp next week. He's one of the best goalies in the country for the 06 birth year. A pretty decent 06 in Troy Hayes, too. Yeah, yeah, Troy Hayes is a good player. So, you know, it's nice to see new teams popping up. And it's if you ever saw their campus and their rink and the view from their campus, and it's a great school, you'd – you might be interested in playing for St. George's because there's not a prettier campus in prep school hockey than than St. George's. Well, that's a great uh, that's a great great recap, Jeff. Thanks. You know, covered a lot of ground there. So let's get to the quickly. We we dropped this uh, on Monday earlier uh, this week. We dropped the, your annual prep awards. Just real real quick, take us through it and the, some of the thinking behind some of those players and and how who, as you said the, earlier, the cream rose to the top. Mm-hmm. Who were the award winners and why? So for me, Dylan Ritzkoian is the MVP of prep school hockey this year. There, there are a lot of good players in Salisbury, and they're very well coached. But at the end of the day, he was the best player and the, the difference maker for them in a lot of scenarios. And I, I truly believe if he was 6 feet and not 5'9", there isn't a draft list that he's not on. I, I think he should be considered by guys because... He's smart, he's skilled, he skates well. But to me, he's he's my MVP of prep hockey. But the, the other two guys that I considered were Brendan Gorman from St. Sebastian's, Princeton commit from Arlington. When the NHL scouts were going to St. Sebastian's this year, they were going to watch Michael Callow, who's, who's a great player, great goal scorer. But every time I went to St. Seb's, and I, I probably saw them 10 times this year, Brendan Gorman was the playmaker. He was around the puck, he was setting up Callow he was he's just a really good prep school hockey player and he had close to two points per game maybe a little over two points per game right on that line right he he had a big time senior year and he's going straight into Princeton in the in the fall and then the other guy that I, I think had to be under consideration and and was for me was Michael Fisher from St. Mark's they obviously don't have the depth that some of the Salisbury's and KUA's and Avons of the world have, but Fisher led that team, produced offensively from the back end, big, skates well. Every St. Mark's game you went to, he had an impact on, where I think some of the other players around prep, you saw the flashes of greatness, but there were other times where you you kind of had to watch closely to even see if he was on the ice. Certain players were on the ice, so to me, Fisher really stood out and had a great year for Carl Corzini's team. After the player of the year, we I think we're talking about coach of the year yeah. and some tough selections. You yeah. talked earlier about Andrew Will being right. the best coach in prep hockey, but the best coach in prep hockey isn't necessarily coach of the year. Talk about your selection there. Yeah, so Will is my runner-up along with Alan Thompson from Holderness. And before we go any further, we you got to give Alan Thompson credit because Holderness isn't a program that's accustomed to making – big runs and and they made it to the elite eight they were undefeated for a large stretch of the season they didn't they certainly don't have the talent that the the big boys of prep hockey do but they did a great job of winning games and like I said there really doesn't need to be much further explanation for Andrew Will but to me the coach of the year in 21-22 is Brian Finney of Belmont Hill he's a disciple of Andrew Will former assistant at Salisbury Belmont Hill had really taken a couple I don't know, tough years, to put it nicely. They'd really kind of fallen from the from their, the bar that they had set over the years. Didn't have as the, the record that they would have liked. Brian Finney in his first year at the helm leads them to one of the best seasons in their, in their school history. They were just shy of winning it all. And like we talked about earlier, only three losses. And he, they really had... Great defensive schemes. I just really like the way they played, and I think he deserves a lot of credit. Any of those three coaches all did a great job this year, and there's other guys out there that were good and 
deserve recognition. But to me, those were the three for, for this season that set themselves apart. You've talked about both of these players next. We were talking freshman, co-freshman of the year. You, you couldn't just go with one. You had to go with two, and it's interesting. One's an 06, one's an 07. Right. But, uh, yeah, to, you know, to, we're talking about Teddy Stiga, Richard Gallant, remarkable in terms yeah. of the, what right. they were able to accomplish. For me, they were the co-freshmen of the year because they're both really good hockey players. They played really well this year. Gallant obviously outproduced Stiga. I think you could argue Stiga and Belmont Hill – probably played a little bit tougher of a schedule and Stiga wasn't necessarily the guy where Gallant was the guy for Belmont Hill up front and got a lot more ice time than Stiga so I think if the roles were reversed I think the the scoring would be a little bit more similar than it is but to me those were the guys that stood out and I gave them the nod because they both were on great teams and had an impact on their teams having such success you can look at I mentioned Cornforth and then Teddy Mutrin at St. Sebastian's. Those guys also had monster years, but the teams didn't have quite the success that they did. You, you can argue Mutrin at Sebs, there's no one that has more upside in prep hockey. He's going to be a great player to watch next year, and I'd be shocked if he didn't make the national team for 23-24. And obviously Gallant has a great shot at that as well. So I, there's some exciting young players in prep hockey that will be fun to follow for next year. Yeah, Mutrin really came on at the end, especially. He was playing earlier, but really his role increased. He's an athlete, tall, lanky, but he plays hard, plays physical. He does a great job tracking on the back check. Just some of the some subtle things that I noticed with him that I really liked. And then you, had, you, you have to mention, too, since I brought it up with, with Mutrin, Richard Gallant's not the biggest guy on the ice. As an 07, there were a lot of times where he was going up against guys that were four or five years older than him. And he didn't back down. I, I saw him in, I think it was the game against Belmont Hill that they lost in the final seconds. But he got knocked down a couple times. He got right back up. He gave it right back physically. Really impressed with Richard Gallant this year. And anyone that's watched the 07 birth year for a year or two and has heard about them knows how skilled he is and knows what a good hockey offensive hockey player he is. But what really impressed me was his grittiness and his willingness to engage physically and play in high traffic areas and um, just really impressed with Richard Gallant every time I saw St. Mark's. Real nose for the net too, mm-hmm. you know, really good with the tips and the deflections. Yep. He wasn't just smoking shots past goalies. It was smart offense. Yeah. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise podcast will return after this message. Do you want to skate fast? For 50 years, Laura Stam instructors have taught youth players to pros how to skate correctly, powerfully, and fast. Players who attend Laura Stam power skating programs learn how to skate fast by learning how to execute every maneuver in hockey. They become powerful, stable, efficient, and explosively fast skaters. If you can't wait for a clinic, join our subscription skills video service and we'll show you the skills taught at our clinics in an easy-to-use video format with training plans to guide your training. Register or subscribe now at laurastam.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-S-T-A-M-M dot com. Catch the Sacred Heart University Pioneers on the ice this season. The Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Transitioning from offense to defense. Okay, so runner-up maybe for player of the year, but uh, Michael Fisher not going to be denied on yeah. the back end, right? Yeah, he's my 
best defenseman in prep hockey this year. I think I've heard plenty of college coaches say it over the years, and it, it's true. The best defense is a good offense, and he defends well, but he, when he's on the ice, he has the puck promoting possession, and his team isn't defending. And I think the impact he had as a breakout guy, a power play quarterback, he's the best defenseman in prep hockey. And Chris Romain at Milton, obviously Milton didn't have quite the year that they were looking for, hoping for. They were injured. One of their, their best, not one of their best forward, it was injured and missed most of the second half. But Chris Romain, Providence commit at Milton's, my, my runner-up for best defenseman of the year. I like that you you include a defensive defenseman mm-hmm. recognition because again, like the NHL, whereas the one at one point the Norris yeah. trophies went to the most defensive defenseman, and right. it hasn't happened probably since Rod Langway right. in the eighties. So you have a defensive defenseman. Tell us about him. Yeah, Jordan Palmer, New Hampshire kid playing at Avon. He was Avon's best defenseman this year. Best skate, one of the best skaters on his team. Just great edge work. Plays hard. Plays mean. He actually produced way more offensively this year than he has in the past, and I think he showed some offensive touch, but he's a guy that's bread and butter is always going to be, how hard he plays, how well he defends, how he can take away time and space with his skating, and just to, to me, he kind of solidified that blue line for Avon, and he's one of the more underrated players in prep hockey. To me, he's one of the top two, three uncommitted players players that are juniors or seniors in prep school hockey and then for the runner-up for that award to me this kid at Belmont Hill deserves way more credit than he gets and it's Will Kaloran in 03 from Charlestown his skating's not the prettiest it has gotten better over the years and he'll probably never ever be on the power play anywhere he goes at the college level or junior level if I needed someone to shut down another team's line I'm picking Will Kaloran almost every time just one-on-one battles. He wins. He's physical. He's tough to get around. He just kind of has that grittiness to him that makes it hard for opposing forwards. So to me, Palmer and Kaloran, they're the clear-cut best defensive defensemen. Like it. Well, on the, along that vein, what about your defensive forward? To me, it's Ben Poitras at, at Salisbury. And a lot of times when you people almost take the best defenseman a best defensive forward is a negative and suggest well that doesn't that means he can't produce offensively it's not the case with Poitras he had a point per game scored as we mentioned earlier he had the three goals in the uh, in the playoffs but to me he's the best 200 foot forward I saw in prep school hockey all year smart plays just the small details to his game being the third man high being on the right side of the puck all that stuff He's just a really good 200-foot player. He played wing for most of the season. I think he can play center eventually, but he really took a nice step for Andrew Will and I think took Coach Will's coaching. And it's hard when you don't go to – you can't go to every game. You're trying to see everyone. And I only saw Salisbury probably six, seven times, but he he just stood out to me as the best 200-foot forward. And I'm sure I'm missing a guy here or there that also is good defensively up front, but he's the guy that stood out to me. And you're – and his teammate, we, we talked about earlier, yeah. Deary. He, he was my runner-up for that. I was so impressed. And obviously there's some recency bias as I saw them twice in the last week of the you know season in the playoffs. But um, really impressed with those two guys and how they played away from the puck. Well, I liked as a just a name that kind of fits that mold in the you know, recency bias as well. But Daniel Markham yeah. for Belmont Hill. Yeah. You know, a lot of details in his game. Yeah. No, I think we touched on it with Finney, Coach of the Year, but details to me when you watch Salisbury and when you watch Belmont Hill and Kimball Union up in uh you know coach Whitehead's a great coach as well those teams play with detail they play they pay attention to the finer points of the game and there there were a lot of seniors Markham included that really took nice steps for Belmont Hill and exceeded what you would have expected and Markham's definitely a great guy to recognize and like I mentioned Hauser earlier but there were four or five oh threes that I really thought played their best hockey and got better, and that's a credit to Coach Finney. Last thing we'll touch on, and then we're going to move on to MIAA. Most improved, you had a couple guys. Yeah, this, these two are clear-cut to me. It's Matthew Biotti at Belmont Hill and Hank Cleaves at Brunswick. And I, I saw a lot of Hank Cleaves in the fall with mid-Fairfield. I saw a lot of him in December at the Exeter Tournament and at the St. Sebastian's Tournament. And 
I, I kind of expected it going into the year because I had seen the improvement he made in the fall with Mid Fairfield. He scored some big time goals for them, including a big overtime game winner in the Labor Day tournament back in August. But uh, he got bigger, he got stronger, he got more explosive, and he earned a college commitment to Dartmouth. So hats off to him. And then Biotti is a guy I saw in the fall with the East Coast Wizards. He has some pedigree. Dad played at Harvard. Sister's a really good hockey player. I always, you know, kind of was like, he's a good player, but doesn't really do much to kind of separate himself and really stand out to me except for having that potential. Yeah. And I, I and that's not to me negative, but I, I thought that this winter he played his best hockey. And it was the first time where I, I, I left a game saying Matthew Biotti was really good instead of Matthew Biotti has a lot of potential to be good. And so he took a big step and I know their their defensive coach at Belmont Hill, a guy named Jerry Pulaski, played on the eighty um eight national championship team at Harvard and he he has a lot to do with the defensemen getting better at Belmont Hill. You know, I, I look at Jack Bosco, obviously we mentioned Killoran, we mentioned Thomas Gogan who's committed to um play lacrosse in college, but those four guys all got better this year and Biotti obviously has the most probably upside of all four of those guys and played the most significant role but all four of those guys and each of those guys got better and that's a credit to Jerry Pulaski and Brian Finney and that that whole coaching staff at Belmont Hill. Yeah along the lines of the improvement in coaching I remember watching Biotti with the Wizards and he was up the ice a lot he wanted to grab and that's kind of how it it is a lot of times in the fall hockey. Right I was gonna say to to be fair it's 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 fall fall hockey. hockey right. But I noticed that he was much more structured, and that was what I liked about Brian Finney's team overall yeah. at Belmont Hill. Is they were you could see just like Salisbury, you can in KUA yeah. these teams that have a lot of defensive structure. They don't break down. They don't run around. Right. I think it's always easy to talk about the head coaches, and um, they're the boss. They're the ones calling the shots, and. They're the ones hiring the assistants, but I think there's some really good assistant coaches around prep hockey. Kirk Galling at Salisbury deserves a lot of credit. Mikey Pereira at Avon Old Farms, Jake Bennett at Kent, and you know I, I could go on. I'm, I'm missing guys, yeah, but good um, guys at KUA, you know, yeah, both of Tim Whitehead's, right? And like I mentioned, Jerry Pulaski and Holland at Belmont Hill. The assistant coaches do a lot of the recruiting, and obviously they're the ones. There's a position specific coaches and those assistant coaches deserve more credit than they get. And just, those are some guys to me that kind of stand out. And and there's others, like you mentioned, the KUA staff's been together for a while now and they're great staff. And it's nice to see some programs transitioning like up at Exeter, Tim uh, Metropolis was the longtime assistant of Dana Barbin who coached his 1000th game at Exeter this year. He started out as an assistant. He went to head coach for a long time. Now he's back to being an assistant and it's nice to see the transition and teams promoting from within instead of hiring from outside. And that's another guy that obviously Exeter always does a really good job with those PGs. They always seem to recruit some very effective post-grads. And um, obviously Tim was a big part of that. And it's nice to see him get rewarded and have him become the head coach up there. Great point. And that doesn't really fall in line with promoting from within, but I think the the Cushing bringing in Paul Pearl and they, they had a I mean, again, season didn't end the way they wanted but right. you know making it to the elite eight and they yeah. had to go play a tough team in avon but i think right. bigger things ahead for the penguins for sure everyone knows him he was the assistant at harvard and bu most recently but longtime head coach at holy cross and he's going to have that program getting better and better he's a great recruiter there might not be a better sales salesman in, in the game just in terms of pitching his own program and credibility and I'll just mention a couple more assistants. Steve Novador at, at Loomis does a great job. You can go on and on, but uh, Stu Wilson at Tabor. Some of those programs from across the area, just the assistants do a lot of the recruiting. Like I've been at a lot of high school games lately as we're going to transition into talking MIA, but even the Rhode Island championship games, I've seen those assistants there. And they put in a lot of miles, Berkshire and Salisbury and Avon. They're, they're not exactly in the metro you know, area, in the metro Boston area, and <laughs> you see... Yeah. And I saw Mikey Pereira this past weekend recruiting at the New England districts and Kirk Gallings all over the place for Salisbury and Steve Novador works hard. He works the phones. He does a great job down there. Jake Bennett too. He runs that all American prospects teams in the summer. Um, he works hard to get good players. And, you know, I, I think those assistant coaches deserve a lot of the credit. Yeah. 
Absolutely, and that is a great coda for the 21-22 prep hockey season. It was a fine year. I was just glad, as you said, couldn't have said it better at the top. Great to be back in the rink. So let's segue. Speaking of being in the rinks, you and I were were in Songus last night in Lowell yeah. watching watching Division Three, Division Four. We're recording the podcast, so mm-hmm. we're the field is yet to be determined. But Jeff, take us through how we got here to the Final Four and and how the MIA playoffs has looked to you. Let's start with Division One. I don't think I was going out on a limb, but I, I thought Zavarian and St. John's Prep were on a collision course to play in the finals, and that still is how it looks. Obviously. We're recording this on Tuesday. Finals are Sunday. The games are tonight for Division One. Three Catholic Conference teams in the uh, semifinals, which has kind of been a big talking point on social media lately with the elimination of the Super 8 and kind of that what some public school people deem an unfair advantage of the of the Catholics. But Zavarian and St. John's Prep, to me, are, are still the, the cream of the crop in the MIA. They're older. They're veteran. They're deep. They're well-coached. They have good defense, play good sound structure defensively. But great job by John Flaherty at BC High. A couple times during the year in the power rankings, I kind of mentioned, hey, they're they're below 500. But if, if they were in a different conference, they're, they're not below 500. And the, they played some really tough teams out of conference. I saw them lose to Arlington. I saw them lose to Winchester in overtime. They played a tough, like their non-conference games were, were no slouch either. And the goaltending wasn't great during the regular season for them at times. And Jackie Burke had a Dorchester kid back to back shutouts and one nothing. Yeah, one the nothing hardest victories. shutout yeah. for a goalie. Let me tell I you. I mean, he my goodness, he made some huge saves in the game. I was at the game against Catholic Memorial. You were obviously at the game against Austin Prep. But great coaching job by John Flaherty um, to have his team playing the best hockey at the end of the year and some of their best players have stepped up obviously James Marshall had the game winner against Catholic Memorial Ryan Flaherty I watched the third period on video at Austin Prep you can speak to this as well but it seemed like he never came off the ice he took some big defensive zone face-offs played hard I've always liked about Ryan he's gritty he's he's kind of in your face kind of throwback player he's always getting under the under skin sometimes taking a penalty here or there that might cross the line but I, I love it I like to see a kid play hard and like I've always heard coaches say, and it's true, is you can tame someone, you can reel someone in, but it's hard to ignite a fire under someone that there isn't a fire to be ignited under. To me, those two guys, Marshall and Flaherty, have come up big. The freshman Feinberg has played really well. Yeah. The kid played at Islanders 07 team for years. So Yeah, that line of Flaherty, Feinberg, and O'Donnell was huge. They not only got the only goal, but as you said, and you're exactly right, they were gritty. Mm-hmm. They grinded. They won face-offs. They won puck battles. Coach Flaherty told me after the game that one of the key plays was Feinberg, the freshman, mm-hmm. recognizing that, that in a one nothing game, Right. Bleed, bleed time off the clock, and yeah. he just pinned the puck and yeah. forced. A, you know, and I also want to say, I want to, and I, I mentioned this in my write up, but the referees did a good job of yeah. that game. They managed it. There were like, if you're an Austin Prep fan, okay, you're probably pointing to the two goals that were disallowed, but mm-hmm. they weren't goal. Yeah. I had a good look at one, yeah. and it was clearly batted in. And right. the second one, I respect that the referees conferred and right. tried to get it right. It looked like the, the linesmen were on on top yeah. of it, and that's what you yeah. need. Great and, atmosphere. Right. And to to that point, I'm. Um, often critical of the MIA, but I give them a lot of props for having four four officials doing these games. Every right. state tournament game I've been to so far has had four, two, two refs, two linesmen, and the game's fast now. It's You can criticize the refs, but when there's only two of them, there's only so much ground they can cover, so you, they might miss an offsides because they were out of position, but when there's four, it's harder to be out of position, so Kudos to the MIA for having four officials at all these games. I agree with you. I think they've done a good job. I when I go to a playoff game, especially, I want to see them let the boys play. Exactly. I don't want to. I don't want to see the parade to the penalty box. And but like you said, the atmosphere has been great. The, the fan sections have been terrific. And Arlington's another team. Real quickly on BCI, I think an underrated part of their improvement is kind of been the scoring by committee lately. Marshall had the goal against CM. Then the Feinberg, O'Donnell, Flaherty line had the goal against Austin Prep. And they split up Marshall and Flaherty. They had them together at the beginning of the year. They had Feinberg on the third line. And so I always like when I see coaches making changes and trying to get better and not just sticking with what they what their initial gut instinct was. And I, I like the fact that in the Catholic Conference, his, historically, you know, the freshmen have kind of been down the lineup and they've played their seniors and so I like the fact that 
they're giving a kid like Feinberg a shot mm-hmm. when they had him on the third line to begin with. And Catholic Memorial had Tyler Hamilton. He played in every situation as a 06 freshman for them. First line, PK, St. John's Prep has relied a lot on Jake Vanna and Christian Rosa, two sophomores up there. So it's nice to see some of the young guys getting a shot to prove themselves in the Catholic Arlington conference. has a couple. Right, yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, And kind of get into them now, the, the fourth, the only public to make the semifinals. Jackson, their big star, had two goals in the uh, win over Hingham, playing his best hockey. I talked to John Missouri, and he, he really was happy with the way Sadowski played over the weekend. A kid that goes under the radar, I saw their playoff game against Malden Catholic, but Brendan Hirsch, he's just a big winger. He's physical. He scores goals. He's heavy. He's an 05 that played Junior Eagles growing up, and he's had a great season for them as well. Obviously, this is going to be dropped after the semifinals, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to tonight's games up at Songus, the BC High, St. John's Prep game, and the in Division Two Canton and Gloucester. Um, I think good segue to Division Two if if we can start. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, like, you know, Gloucester has two of the most dynamic forwards in the state, and Emerson Marshall and Jack Costanza. Marshall's had a huge year. They had a big win up at Talbot Rink over the weekend, and that place is a fun place to watch a hockey game. If you've never been and your team's playing Gloucester, you want to make the drive up. That's that barn gets rocking, and they support the uh, the fishermen up there. And Canton's got a really good freshman goalie in Colin Davis, so. It's kind of the matchup between the team that I think relies on their defense and then the team that relies on their offense. Gloucester wins a lot of high-scoring games, and Canton wins a lot of low-scoring games. So it'll be an interesting matchup ahead of the uh, the Division One game. And um, you know, but the the one thing that kind of strikes me across the leagues is the this is the first year the the computer ratings determining who the top thirty-two teams were in each division, and the the top teams and the computer rate are mostly still around bc highs the kind of the under liar yeah the underdog in uh division one well, the number 13 number seed 13 right? seed but you look across the board a lot of ones twos threes fours still in it and that just goes to show you that the computer ratings got it right i don't know if there is a perfectly fair way to do it or not but i like it more than eight guys sitting around a table determining it because especially in a small state like mass there's politics involved and trying to help out friends and it's just when it is computer, it's you know ahead of the time you knew what it was going to be, and you can't argue with the computer. You might not think it is right, it might not pass the eye test, but it's everyone knows going in what the formula was to get into the tournament or be a high seed, and that, that's what I like about the computer ratings. Okay, so as we're winding down Division three and four, we saw a couple games last night. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on the. On those, and then and then we'll wrap up with predictions. Yeah, obviously there's still some games to be played in that, but Tewksbury survived a overtime thriller, double overtime thriller against a good Duxbury team. They have some guys that people are going to want to watch Sunday at the TD Garden. Division three, obviously we know one of the teams. It'll be Marlboro, Marcus, Chris Sofides. Great. What a shot. Yeah, loved his first goal. <laughs> he just drove the net, tipped it in on the uh, centering feed, and then the second goal was just an absolute snipe off of a um, pass from below the goal line by Mark Evangelis. Jeremy Lacroix, the third guy in that that first line, really impressive. That whole first line was great, but obviously Chris Afides is uh, Marlboro's star. So he's a player to watch in Division Three. Mikey Monroe for Hanover, the 07 that plays Junior Eagles. He's a, If they advance to Sunday, he'll be a player for everyone to watch. They play a good situate team that beat Marshfield, and so they have their work cut out for them to get to Sunday. But uh, there's some great players, Jason Cook and Caden uh, Connors and Nick uh, DeChico and some of those guys up at Tewksbury. They they have a lot of talent on that team, so that'll be a fun team to watch. They made it to the TD Garden the year before COVID disrupted things, so that's a program used to get into the Garden, and Canton's another program that's used to get into the Garden. So really looking forward to how things pan out tonight, and can't wait for Sunday. It's always one of the most fun days of the high school year, seeing teams celebrate on the ice for great achievement all year long. Because we're we still have games to be played in the semifinals, it's tough to make predictions. But if you have to go with your gut, what do you think is because again, this is people. It's Friday, so we don't have the benefit of hindsight. Right. But what do you think? What is your gut telling you is what we're going to see it in, in Sunday? I, you know, I've said St. John's Prep and Zavarian for three months now. I'm sticking with St. John's Prep and Zavarian. I think St. John's Prep wins, but I I could see either of those two teams winning, and 
they have the best combination of goaltending, depth, just everything of everyone in the, the field. And the hot team at BC High, maybe they, maybe I, Jackie I Burke. I did pick them. Yeah, maybe Jackie <laughs> Burke keeps keeps things rolling. And then Division Two, Tewksbury's kind of been the the hot team all year. They've beat some Division Division One teams. The I think that's wide open, but I'd probably pick Tewksbury. Gloucester would be my second choice there. And in Division Three, Marlboro has great record all year like their shot of winning but i i think Nor- hanover is another one and then in division four i had stoneham winning all year obviously stoneham got knocked out last night by watertown it'll be interesting to see but i, I don't have as much of a feel of the division four right. field as i do the division one and two yeah. obviously the the Benosian kid for Watertown was really impressive. Yeah, he was very good. 06 last night, and they have a couple of smaller defensemen and Jack Dickey and number twenty two blanking in his name right now. But he was good last night. Moved pucks north, and they've got a uh, southpaw in net, a right, a, yeah. a goalie that catches right. Made some nice glove saves last night, and I saw them against Wakefield, and he was good against Wakefield as well. So it'll be fun. I'm re- I'm really looking forward to Sunday. Yeah, I like watching those right catching goalies. Yeah. But well, this has been great. I think for the listeners, we covered a ton of ground and, and a lot of different subjects, prep and MIAA. If you get a chance, go down to the TD Garden. I can't say enough. One of the things I've been been away from the area a long time, and one of the things Jeff had told me and is absolutely spot on is the atmosphere in 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 the Breakaway Center, Ice Center the other night. Both Austin Prep and BC High student contingents were just crazy wild. I talked about going to Reading High earlier this year, you know, guy, guys in the stands recognizing me from New England Hockey Journal. Hey, Ted, how's it going? But at the end of the day, it's like the kids, the fans, the atmosphere, the, how crazy they get. It's so much fun. You get a sense of it, certainly with the Minnesota High School right. tournament. We, yeah. We're probably not to that level filling the yeah. TD Garden, but just last night was the kids were loud. Right. You watch these high school games, and it just it's just mind-boggling to me that kids continue to leave high school for full season teams it's just that the atmosphere is not it's just can't imitate it it's great and it's you know better hockey than it's given credit for no one's going to argue that it's as good as it, it it once was but that's no one's fault except the adults that are in charge of hockey in this region so I, I think there's a lot of good hockey players in the MIA and hopefully we can get back to more kids staying in the high school level and enjoying playing with their friends, enjoying that atmosphere that you can't get anywhere else. Well, well said. Okay. Well, that about does it. We've we've had a full episode prep, MIAA. Again, can't say it enough. Be a part of that. I'm looking forward to uh, being in the TD Garden on Sunday. Songus Arena here next to see some semifinal games. And again, Jeff, thank you so much for coming into the studio. It's great to have Appreciate you. Appreciate that and really always enjoy being on the podcast. Great. Well, on behalf of myself and our able producer, Steve Safran, been our pleasure to bring you another episode of RinkWise. We got a lot of hockey to see, so we're going to get after it. And until next time, we will see you at the rink. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NEHockeyJournal on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast